Part 9 of Kamakura by Yone Noguchi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Hachiman Shrine. It is merely an assemblage of four lines of stone, often of wood, but it is one of the creations of art, like the obelisk or the pyramid, quite an impressive and original symbolic gate. Whether it came from the sacred heart of northern India or elsewhere, there is something of the beginning of man, when he lived and talked with the birds. As the name Tori indicates, it may be nothing but a perch for fowls. Is it not right to fancy, then, that it is the very place where they hail the daybreak? There is no other sight like the daybreak that takes one's mind at once back to the age of mythology and nature-worship, when our ancestors, nay gods, lived primitively like the fowls on that torii under the thatched roof of Kayagras. If there is a proper entrance to a Shinto shrine, the shrine of our ancestors or heroes, that is the torii. Primitiveness only inspires reverence pure and simple that you never feel before a Buddha temple. You will become awestruck by the silence that follows from the complexity of Buddhism but we have a human strength in the simplicity of Shintoism. Let us protect our primitive faith. I cannot help bowing from my heart of hearts whenever I pass under the tori. When I say that here we have three toris belonging to the Hachiman shrine, you already understand that it has nothing to do with Buddhism. All of them, artistically speaking, are splendid pieces of art, especially the first which stands farthest from the shrine on the road called Wakamiya Oji, nearer to the sea, amid the big pines. It is now under government protection. But the precinct of the Hachiman shrine properly begins with the second tori, which you see at your left when you leave the station. Till you get to the third tori, you have to pass by the shops of a thousand varieties of shellwork souvenirs and many inns for pilgrims. Beyond the tori, you see at once a large stone bridge which is a perfect semicircle of whose origin we know almost nothing. It was regarded, I believe, most sacred in the ancient age, only meant for the quiet crossing of the gods. The bridge on the left is flat, very common, being of wood, painted red for daily use. When we pass over it, we see on both sides of the sacred ground large ponds of lotus flowers. As I have had my temporary home at Engakuji for some time, far beyond the Hachiman Shrine, I used to pass by it almost daily, especially in the summer on my way to the sea, and admire the lotus gracefully veiled in the purple haze of the August sunlight, some of them gesticulating, as if on the point of flight, and others dropping their heads quite sadly. Why, it is sad, my thought of fantastic turn often tried to fancy. I often imagined that it had ample reason to be sad, as the old glory of famous Kamakura is only to be traced in odds and ends. When I smelled a faint odour of the flowers, rising in lazy whiffs, I thought it to be a ghost hunting after memories old. The lotus flowers never appear gay to our Japanese mind, but to be sadly pious, evidently a religious sort of beauty, as in fact it is a Buddhistic flower. I see that when the Ryobu Shinto, a mixed religion, prevailed, 
a compromise between Buddhism and Shintoism itself, that is, before the Grand Restoration, and people thought that they were the same thing while they looked opposed at least in usage. There were round here many Buddhistic buildings, the gate with the guardian god of Niwo to begin with, the bell tower, the Chinese pagoda, the temple called Gomado, where the incense was burned day and night, the building of the holy books, the main temple of prayer as well as the habitations of the priests. But they were abolished some fifty years ago when it was proclaimed that the Shintoism should return to its original simplicity and only the lotus ponds remain here to make us think of the old days. It is sad that the famous Niwo, the work of the eminent sculptor Anke, was deprived of its own home, and at present keeps its unhappy life at the Jufukuji temple of some distance. Though it may not be so beautiful as Lafcadio Hearn once wrote somewhere on the approaches to high places of worship or of rest, the ways that go to nowhere and the steps that lead to nothing, this sacred ground has its own special charm. Here nature's fine moods of light and form and colour are verily well united with man's handiwork. Oh, what a lovely contrast of green of many giant trees and red of the Hachiman shrine, which comfortably cuddles in the bosom of the back hill. When you are in the next precinct a few steps higher, you are already facing the most stupendous stone steps, 62 in number, which lead you to the upper principal shrine of Hachiman, which consists of entrance tower, of the main building, and of the roofed corridor around the main shrine, where are the swords, armours, banners, and the thousand relics of writing and art, most of them belonging to this Kamakura age. Hachiman belongs to the heroic period of the empire. He was the son of the Empress Jingu, the conqueror of the three kingdoms of Korea, 200 AD, naturally the bravest of soldiers. When she had attained the age of 100 years, she transmitted the scepter and crown to him. He was then already 71 years old. He reigned gloriously for 43 years under the name of Ojin, and was raised after his death to the rank of a protecting god of the country, and he was the patron of soldiers. There is no doubt that Yoritomo, the real founder of the Kamakura feudalism, made the Hachiman shrine most important, and made his followers promise to live up to their fighter's name. His own age was still bloody and barbarous, although the later time of the Kamakura age, which lasted some 150 years, might be called the period of art and religion. It was only after the overthrow of the Taira family. His trust was in his swords and bows. He was a mere slip of an orphan born of Yoshitomo, and he was less than 50 years old when he became the shogun, literally generalissimo, through sheer force and tact in the battlefield, the most powerful man of the empire in his days, whose fingertip was strong enough to move whole Japan. Let us stand before the entrance tower and look down over the valley where present Kamakura shows its existence. You will see white wave after wave washing the Uigahama shore far away, and here, right before you, a stretch of pine trees parade like a sentinel. But you will be astonished to discover that what you can see is really small, and wonder whether this is the place where Kamakura, the ancient feudal city, 
the habitation of a million people, once had its seat. When we descend the steps, we see at the left a shrine called Stanomia, the lower shrine, the sight of which makes us at once imagine the most dramatic scene of Japanese history. It is the very place, it is said, where Shizuka, that mistress of Yoshitsune, the youngest brother of Yoritomo, was summoned even by force to appear before the shogun Yoritomo and dance, as she was originally a famous dancer, to please his whim. I can well fancy that it should have been a great occasion, as I read in the book, that Suketsuni Kudo, Shigetada Hatakeyama, and other famous warriors of the day also made their presence to play an accompaniment of Shizuka's dance. As I said, she was forced to dance before the shogun and his followers. She objected at first, as Yoritomo was no other but her enemy. Her lord, Yoshitsune, was brutally driven away by him as he appeared a great opponent to his own ambition, and what a great work Yoshitsune did toward the speedy overthrow of the Taira clan, and how he helped to bring his eldest brother to that distinguished position. Now he was obliged to leave the capital as if he were a shamefaced criminal, and Shizuka was summoned to dance before her enemy as if she were a professional dancer for money. How could she stand such treatment? My imaginative eyes can clearly see her egg-shaped face tragically white, her eyebrows straight and almost immovable, her sadness touched with ghostliness. If the shogun wished her to dance, she thought she must dance, but people would soon see what she could do. The music was already begun. She rose before the hundred warriors with open fan. Lo, her dance was commenced, and she sang. What song? She sang a louder love song, lamenting her lost lover and lord, and even wished that the days of the past would soon become the present again. It is said that all the warriors were almost frightened, as they did not know what the shogun would do with her. She was such an undaunted spirit, as she thought she was perfectly right in loving her own lord. Yoritomo got mad. He immediately retired, it is said, within the screen. Oh, what a difference to the women of the former age, especially at Kyoto, when the imperial court was a rendezvous of superstition and love, the emperors and ladies spending day after day over music and poetry. They were a symphony of softness and exuberance, like the crimson masses of the flower, or the lower clouds seen through the spring mists, but how vague and delicate they were. They were indeed the most transient characters of cherry blossom, whose beauty speedily departs under rain or wind, and what a wonderful soul those women of the fighting clans like that Shizuka had. Even the shogun could not trample down their will. I walked around here, slowly and meditatively. My imagination saw a thin little old priest, who was giving a cat of silver to a boy. The priest was the famous poet, Saigyo. He talked over the night with Yoritomo, who at the poet's departure gave him the silver cat of great price. What use was it for the poet, a spirit of wind? The shogun was again as with Shizuka, outwitted by the poet, and there are many people, I believe, who would wish to be a Saigyo rather than a Yoritomo. I am one of them. End of part nine.